time. What? Was nobody here last week? Seriously? What time is it? Okay, because I'm like, apparently you all were gone last week. But last week we looked at, again, I'm a huge basketball fan, a big fan of the Bulls in the 80s growing up playing ball. And they'd get in the huddle, and Jordan or Horace Grant would say, what time is it? And everybody would say, who? And then they'd run out. And for me, I think Sunday mornings, that's that huddle. Sunday morning is that huddle as a team, as a family, as the church, before we go play. It's that time to set apart to say, God, we want to know who you are. Teach us. Speak to us so that we're ready to kick butt and to take names and to live for eternity and to live in the kingdom. And so that's what we've been seeing in the book of Acts. I think we've been seeing Paul. I think Paul is like an old school Jordan, right? Like like Paul was running around. He was shooting the ball. He was passing the ball. He was rebounding the ball. He was getting triple doubles. Jordan was the man, and that's what God's using Paul for. Paul is spreading the gospel, but here's what I love about Jordan. Jordan would always say basketball is not an individual sport, right? As good as he was, he needed a team. It takes five people. And what we've seen in the book of Acts, we've seen God use Paul, but we've also seen Paul build a team. Everywhere he goes, where was he last week? Anybody remember where it was last week? Like I said, you were apparently all gone last week, so I don't know, right? But he was in Athens, right? And he builds a team. And in fact, at the end of that verse, we see Dionysius, right? One of the leaders of the Areopagus, like the most unlikely to come to faith, he comes to faith. Damaris, this woman, comes to faith. And so God is speaking through the leaders of the political realm. He's speaking to men. He's speaking to women. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, they're coming to faith. And the team is being built. You got Paul and Silas. Remember, they joined Paul for the second journey, right? I, I think Timothy, Timothy was the guy that they met, that Silas joined the team. Why? Because John Mark and and Barnabas split. And so that happened at the end of the first journey, going to the second. And today we're finishing the second journey, where you've got Paul and Silas and Timothy, new people in Corinth. And today we're going to see new people, not just from Athens last week, but even today. Now, how many of you guys know that I love sports? You ever notice that, right? I, I had someone ask me the other day, Drew, do you do anything other than watch and play sports? And I was like, I read the Bible, right? Like, I, I do a couple other things. But for the most part, no. Like, that's it, right? I just love sports. So my buddy said, man, I've been following the Axe series. I really think you need to watch this movie called Guardians of the Galaxy. I've never seen Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Raise your hand if you've seen the movie. I just got to know who I'm talking to. Wow, a lot of you. And again, he's laughing at me. He's like, you don't watch these movies? I said, no, dude, I play sports, right? Like, that's it. But you know what I found in watching this movie is I actually found the book of Acts. I found Michael Jordan. I found Paul. I found that God uses people, really jacked up, messed up, weird people. I want you to look at that picture. Who do you relate with, right? You you see yourself anywhere? Like, who's the blue dude? Like, let's be honest, right? Who's the blue guy, right? Okay, there's one, right? And again, from a rookie, for me, here's what the movie's all about. It's this band of misfits, these random people that, that have been brought together that apart from each other, they really don't have a purpose. They're just super weird, right? Like, and even the movie's kind of weird, like super weird. But I watched it, and here's the reality. This band of misfits gets brought together, and they're called to, to guess what they're called to do? Guard the galaxy, right? Like total creative, right? Here's my summary statement for, the, for Acts there. We're in Acts chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Here's the summary statement. As Christians, I believe we've been called as a team. That it's not about the person of Paul. It's not about any one of us. We've been called as a team, I believe, to combat evil, which is what those guardians were called to do. We've been called to combat evil. Jesus says it this way. He says, greater work is in you than was in me. If you ever read that verse in John, you're like, wait a second, Jesus. All you did was reconcile all of humanity, right? How is that possible? How is there greater work in you? Because Jesus left this place, prepare a place, put his spirit in us and said, get busy. 
kick butt, take names, life short, hell's hot, let's go. You with me? It's part of why as much as I've loved the last five years of church, I got to be honest, I'm way more excited about the next. We got work to do. There's more of us. That means there's more of us than go make disciples, and that's what Jesus called us to do. That our calling as disciples is literally to bring heaven to earth. That Jesus came, that he who knew no sin became my sin so that I might have a way back to the Father. He didn't just die for us. Is that good news that Jesus died for us? Yes! It's great news. But he also showed us how to live. He showed us how to combat evil. He showed us how to bring peace. He showed us how to bring joy. And that's our call. And so Paul's traveling city after city after city, sharing the gospel, building a team, releasing them to do ministry, to bring heaven to earth. And so God, I believe, gives each one of us strengths and weaknesses. Anyone out there super quirky? Anyone quirky? Right? If you're not raising your hand, you're probably quirky, right? Like you just don't know how you're quirky yet. So ask your wife, hey, what's my greatest quirk? Like, where do I just, like, mess up all the time? Like, where am I annoying? It leads to great marriage counseling. Again, that's available. Put that on your Connect card, right? Like, seriously, we're all kind of quirky. And I think what God's doing in the church, like in this movie, that he takes even our strengths that are gifts from him, but he also takes our weaknesses. He shows us that we're desperate and dependent, that we actually need each other. Here's the good news of the gospel. God doesn't need us. That's good news if you really know who you are, right? But we need each other. And he puts us on a team with all of our quirks, all of our weaknesses, so that we would never rely on each other. We'd rather rely on him. That we would then lean into what he's doing, this odd collective of beautiful but desperate and dependent guardians of the galaxy that I believe that we're here today. That this is why we gather on Sundays, to remind ourselves that he's faithful to the end, to remind ourselves that he loves us in spite of our quirks, in spite of our awkwardness, and to be inspired to go be the living proof of a loving God. And so church, are you ready? Okay, apparently not. It's okay, we're going to go anyway. So pull out Bibles, Acts chapter 18. I'm ready, so let's go. Starting in verse 1. Now again, we're not going to read the whole text. We'll cover the whole chapter today, but we're taking these bigger chunks. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Achilla, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went with them. Because he was of the same trade, he... Because he was in trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments. He said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. A little intense, right? Verse 7, and he left there. He went to the house of this man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in the city who are my people. And so he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Spirit, I pray that you would teach us today. That you would speak to us through your word in the same way that you did that through Paul and you do that through Luke as he records these events. Would you speak to us through your word and your power so that as we leave this place this morning, we would be prepared. We'd be prepared and filled to be the guardians of the galaxy you've called us to be. That cities and lives would be changed because of what takes place this morning. For your glory, ask these things. And everybody said, amen. So, So here's the text. Paul last week left Athens, and he goes to where this week? 
Corinth. Okay, remember, answers usually on the screen, they're usually in red, right? So he leaves Athens, he goes to Corinth. Now again, I'm loving studying this week the, the, the city of Corinth. Super unique city. It's a newer city. That means all the buildings in the region are really about 100 years or less, so it's a new area. It's about a 46-mile journey. So I think it took Paul a few days to probably get there. I think often when Paul left one city, went to another, he had lots of time on that 46-mile journey, right? To pray, to watch, to say, God, what are you inviting me into? What's next? It's a port city, so it's pretty wealthy. Commerce coming in and commerce coming out. One commentator said, it's kind of like the Vegas of the day. 2,000 feet, there was this big hill in the city, 2,000 feet up there, and there was a temple to Aphrodite. Anyone remember Aphrodite, right? She's like the goddess of pleasure. Think sex and wealth and health. And so this was a, a city that was really not a kingdom city. That's why Paul went there. That's why the Spirit led him there. It's a messy city. I, I also believe this is the city where the Isthmian Games came. That's where, like, the Olympics, so every other year, all the best athletes in the region would gather here. And I was just fascinated by the city, so much so that we will probably go to 1 Corinthians at some point. There's just so much more that we can talk about. The point is this. They need Jesus in Corinth. And so Paul shows up. He leaves Athens, and he gets to Corinth. And as he gets there in verse 2, he finds this Jew named Aquila. Now, I often encourage you, maybe name your kids a biblical name. That's a sweet one, right? Like, that's a strong man's name, Aquila, right? Like, he's a point guard. Maybe he's a Jordan-esque, right? He's Aquila, right? And so he meets this name named Aquila. And he's this native of Pontus, recently comes from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Again, and you don't have to marry someone that rhymes with your name either. Don't worry about that. That's not biblical, just these guys, right? And so Aquila and Priscilla, they show up. Now, why do they show up? Luke says this, because Claudius, who oversaw the region of Rome, kicked all the Jews out. See, the Jews were really special. Here's what I mean by that. Not were they God's chosen people, but the Jews were the only people in the Roman Empire that didn't have to worship the Greek gods. They had a special arrangement with Rome because you were legally mandated to worship, to be a part of the games and to give offerings and sacrifices, but not the Jews. And so the arrangement went like this. If you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone and everyone will be happy, right? But here's what starts to happen. As Christianity grows, who's the primary people that want to get rid of Christianity? The Jews. The Jews that have rejected Jesus. And so in Rome, you see the Jews rise up and they're literally trying to kill the, the, the Christians. And so Priscilla and Aquila would have been Jews at that time. And at that point, they got kicked out of Rome. Claudius said, enough of this. You're causing political upheaval. There's turmoil. And what does every politician want? He just wants everybody to be happy. Just be happy. You're compromising what's happiness. Get out. And so they go on this journey from Rome, and they end up in Corinth. Really the same time. We don't know if they love Jesus yet or not. Here's the reality. If you hang out with Paul long enough, guess what happens? You end up loving Jesus. And so they, they definitely come to faith in this text, whether they came with faith or not. They definitely love and treasure Jesus. And so Paul meets them, and he went to see them because he was of the same trade. Now, we call that community. Community is a common unity, right? And so they would go. They would share notes. They would talk about, how do you make tents? How do you make tents? Let's make tents better, right? And so Priscilla and Aquila, and you've got Paul. They're making tents. And so Paul, they connect. There's this instant bond, this instant connection, because they do the same thing. It says it this way, that they were tent makers by trade. But I think something happens. They go just from a community relationship. They go just from a common unity that then they step into communitas. Now, that's language that we use at Vintage for, for life-changing relationship with other believers, that it's not about today. But I love that we can have things in common. But if you don't love sports, you can still go to Vintage Grace. I don't know if you'll survive the sermons, but you can still go to Vintage Grace, right? And, and there's a common unity, but we want to have more, that our common unity as Christians has nothing to do with today. It has nothing to do with this side of heaven. It has everything to do with the mission of God. 
that our communitas is driven by the reality that Jesus is coming back, that he offers joy today, and that we get an opportunity on many levels to change the world, to preach the gospel, to invite them in a relationship, and to be sent to be the living proof of a loving God. And so I love this, that they get to know each other, that they spend time together building tents. Now, now why is Paul building tents? Why do any of us work and have a job? Why? Work, he needs money, right? Paul was a traveling missionary, and sometimes, guess what happens to travel missionaries? They don't have money. And so when Paul didn't have money, what did he do? He made tents. And so they're making tents together. That's what we see in verse 2 and 3. But in verse 4, check this out. And he, Paul, goes and he reasons in the synagogue every Sabbath. Now, there's a difference between Corinth and Athens. In Athens, remember where Paul, when he went to the synagogue, where else did he go? Every day, where did he go? Marketplace. And he also, I think, went to the synagogue every day. Why was he able to go there every day in Corinth? Why? Because he had money. Why is he only going on the Sabbath in Corinth? Because he doesn't have money. Again, don't, don't overthink it. He doesn't have money. So really, Monday through Saturday, no, sorry, Sunday through Friday, right, based on their Sabbath, what is Paul doing? He's making tents. That's what he's doing. But now, back in, in his last city, he was freed up. And so he's making tents because the money on some level has run out. And so he's reasoning. But what does Paul really want to do with his life? Everywhere he goes, what does Paul want to do? Preach the gospel. And so in this context, on some level, Paul's a little hindered by the support. The lack of support means that he's got to make tents most of the day, and then he gets to preach in the Sabbath at the synagogue. And so he's trying to pursue to persuade the Jews and the Greeks, but then Silas and Timothy show up, and they come from Macedonia. So again, Silas and Timothy. I, I think, again, Paul was more the Jordan. He was the shooting guard. I think Silas and Timothy are probably the center and the power forward, right? Like big elbows, making away, clearing stuff. When Paul left Athens, I think he sent Timothy and Silas back to Macedonia. And he sends them there to check on all the churches that they had planted on their earlier trip. Paul said, I'm going to go to Corinth. You guys go that way. We'll meet up again in Corinth. And so Silas and Timothy, they show up in Macedonia. I love the Macedonians. These guys are, are amazing leaders. They're gracious. They're loving. Paul writes about them in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. He says this. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that from the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, giving and receiving, except for only who? You. Only you supported me. Now, Paul wasn't looking. He wasn't a fundraiser necessarily, but they knew that if we don't pay Paul and give him resources, he's not going to be freed up to actually preach the gospel every day. And they gave. In fact, 2 Corinthians says it this way, chapter 8. I love this church. They gave not because they had lots of wealth. You know what? They gave out of their, their, their poverty. They didn't have excess, but they understood that their money was all about eternity, that all of our money, guess what happens to it after we, we die and we go away? At some point, what happens to our money? It burns. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses, Piper says. I love that. It goes away. And so these Macedonians, they said, whatever we have today, we want to invest in the context of an eternity of tomorrow's. Not because they were wealthy, not because they're rich. In fact, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, you begged me to support me. Can you imagine Paul being like, I don't actually need your support. I've never said that as a church planter, ever, just for the record, right? What a dumb fundraiser, right? He's like, guys, God, God will take care of me. And these guys are like, yeah, you knucklehead. I'm the answer to your prayer, right? How many of you guys have ever heard of RCC? You ever heard of RCC? Not very many. RCC is the name of the church that I came from. I was, I was an adult ministries pastor, a teaching pastor. I kind of did everything in, in that role in Orange County. I got to escape the darkness of Southern California and come to the light, right? RCC, back in September of 2011, is really when Vintage Grace started, September of 2011. And RCC invested in our church plant with their time, 
with their treasure and with their talent in amazing, powerful ways. And they didn't even know who we were. No joke, someone on our launch team that we asked to even pray about moving up here, they were like, well, I don't know, like, are there grocery stores up there? Like, <laughs> again, Southern California people got issues, right? It's not just the Dodgers. There's so many issues they have, right? Literally, they said, like, north of the grapevine, like, where do you buy clothes, right? And I'm not even making fun of them because it was real. Like, that was a real question. But they gave. They literally financially put money in a Vintage Grace account, not even knowing where El Dorado Hills was. Literally thinking we were in the middle of nowhere, which is actually a really good thing if that was true. But it's not. So moving on. See, Paul's talking to his version of RCC. He's talking to the churches in Macedonia that they begged to support. That they said, Paul, we just want to be about kingdom movement. And if you're preaching the gospel, we want to help you do that for God's glory. Even though they said, we're never even going to see the people in Corinth. And so when this happens, when Silas and Timothy come back from Macedonia, I actually think they bring back money. They bring support. They bring prayers. They bring encouragement. Because you ever think that, that missionaries get discouraged, right? The pastors, the church planters. Think about Paul. How does he pick a new city regularly? The, the spirit, right? Don't miss that. But how does Paul know it's time to leave a current city? He's getting beat up, right? And he's like, God, should I die today? God's like, nope, you're stuck, right? And so Paul, okay, I'll go to the next city. Paul needed encouragement. He needed financial support. And it was the churches in Macedonia that gave out of their nothing. Church, thank you for being financially generous. Thank you for all of your giving this last year and all your giving in the future. Here's what's so fun for me. Guess what? We get to play the role of RCC to Del Paso Heights, to Oak Park, to Placerville, to who knows where God's going to invite us, to the work in India and in Africa. And that's because of you praying and watching and generously giving, not because you have a lot, although we might, but because the kingdom of God matters most. Does that make sense? And so Paul and, and, and Silas come and Timothy, and then here's what we see. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul now, and this is probably the only time, I, very rarely do I not like the ESV translation. That's the one that I preach from, English Standard Version. I don't love this translation. It says Paul was occupied. It's, it's that now he could be occupied exclusively with what? Preaching. Why? Because the money came. He's like, to heck with those tents. I don't even like tents, right? That's what Paul would say. He just wants to preach. And that's not to diminish your job and your role as a tent maker, whatever that means for you, teacher, professor, mom, plumber, pilot, whatever you do, that's an opportunity for you to actually be a preacher. The best sermons are never on Sunday morning. They're always lived through you on Monday. I believe that. I think Paul believes that. But Paul had a unique call, which was to what? To preach. And guess what? If you think that I preach long, Paul preached every second of every day, right? And so that was Paul's call. And so now he's freed up to go live out his calling in life, which was to preach the word of God. He was occupied wholly with just that now because Silas and Timothy had come back, testifying to the Jews that Christ was a Jew. But you know what's common? As common as Paul would want to preach, what else is common? People's reaction. So some people responded positively, but a lot of people didn't. And so they opposed the gospel as he preached in the synagogue. They reviled Paul. And so Paul shakes out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Like, is that intense or what? Here's what Paul says. I want you to get into the glory of heaven. I want you to receive Jesus. I want you to be happier tomorrow. But that's only going to happen if you love Jesus. But Paul is not in charge of us going to heaven. He's in charge of preaching. That's his call. We can't determine how people respond. And so we live and we preach in this way. But here's what Paul says. I'm going to dust off my feet like in Acts 13 or the disciples in Luke 10. He says, I'm done. Now, he's not really done with the Jews. He's going to keep going to synagogues. Don't miss that. 
But what he says is, you got your chance, you rejected, I have to move on. In verse 7, he moves on. And so he leaves the synagogue where he's preaching. He left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice. Now, I love this. I think this is so cool. Paul's like, he gets kicked out of the church, and then where does he go? Think about this geographically. Where does he go? Next door. It's kind of like, hey, the gospel's moving on. It doesn't have to be location here or here. Like, I'm preaching. He goes next door. And think about this is the first convert that we see in the city of Corinth. There's another convert that he mentions as well, Crispus. Again, if you're looking for a good name, man, this is a great name, Crispus. Now, Crispus had a unique job. What was his job? Anybody remember? Leader of a synagogue, which means he was a Jew that would teach people within the synagogue. And guess what happens? He comes to faith. I wonder if he was one of the people that kicked him out of the synagogue to start with. Think about that. He's kicked out of the synagogue, but then he comes to faith. Not only him, but his entire household comes to faith. We've got to remember that God is faithful to the end, even when people reject us. Even when people don't accept, even when people kick us to the curb, Paul just keeps on keeping on because it's about God's faithfulness, not about ours, not about our responses. And I love this. Crispus comes to faith. His entire household comes to faith. Think about that. They don't want Christians in Corinth. But the leader of the synagogue just came to faith. You think God's on the move? You think God's working all things together for good? You think he's leading his kingdom? And check this out. It's not just Crispus, but of course, many people from Corinthians start to hear Paul. Why? Because Crispus led the charge. Like the snowball that God strategically placed Paul there, that he strategically kicked him out of the synagogue. That made Crispus's story so much more powerful. Wait, Crispus, I thought you were anti-Paul. I was, but God. But God showed me, and I repented. And so many people in Corinthians heard the gospel. They believed, and they were baptized. Church, maybe that's your next step. Baptism is a command from, from the king that says this, if you trust me, if you treasure me, take that next step. We love baptism services. Put that on your connect card. It's a way for you to publicly proclaim because here's what happens when we publicly proclaim. I think Crispus, again, he's baptized. He proclaims his faith, and you know what happens? People are listening. People are watching, and they're listening to your life, and when you publicly proclaim the gospel, they say, wait, you mean it's not about health for you? It's not about wealth? It's not about today at all, but it's about an eternity of tomorrows. And through Crispus' testimony and his baptism, I believe many people come to faith. So you've never been baptized, I'd encourage you. Put that on your Connect card. We've got one coming up at our fifth anniversary next month. Don't miss your chance for that ministry movement for you. And in verse 9, I love this. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Now, why are we afraid? Why would we be afraid? Well, Paul wanted to be killed regularly. Every time he preached, kingdom movement happens, the enemy wants to take him out. Paul writes in Ephesians, there's three primary enemies that we face. There's the world, broken, fallen, messed up world. There's Satan himself, that I think we give too much credit to, talking about you, but Satan doesn't have to work on me. My flesh is that third enemy. That's usually bad enough, right? Paul says this, look, if there's kingdom movement taking place, would you just recognize that there's an enemy that hates the movement going on in your life? That the movement that's happening here at Vintage Grace these last five years, the enemy doesn't like this. He hates this. And so Paul gets this vision from God that says, don't be afraid because the enemy's going to attack. If anything, when the enemy attacks, we should laugh. Think about that. That's like the highest compliment. If the enemy doesn't want to take you out, maybe we're not worthy of being taken out. Does that make sense? And so here's what the Lord says to Paul through this vision. Be on guard. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Don't be silent. Why? Three things. I am with you. And guess what? I always win. I am faithful to the end. I am with you. No one will attack you or harm you. And Paul's like, seriously, no one? What that means is not necessarily that no one will. It means that they won't be victorious over you. 
The enemy does want to take you out, but he says, I got you, Paul. Why? Because the third thing is I have many people in the city that are my people. They just don't know it yet because they haven't heard the gospel from you yet. So Paul, keep on preaching. Don't stop. Don't stop when the enemy attacks. That's a compliment. Keep pressing in, he says. And then he stayed a year and six months, and he kept doing what? Teaching. Guys, this is huge. I think sometimes that we pray and we watch and we step. Maybe January for you, maybe this is that month you're like, I'm coming back to church. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to fight for him. I'm going to join a life group. I'm going to get baptized. I don't know where you are in your journey. Again, every one of us has a next step. We believe that at Vintage Grace. We all have next steps in our one, in our two, in our three as a disciple of the king. Every one of us. But here's my promise. When you take that next step, you know what the enemy wants to do? He takes a step two. He doesn't give up. If anything, he ramps up, right? And so God speaks through this vision to Paul and says, I got you. I've got you. Don't forget that. Don't be discouraged when the enemy attacks. Be encouraged. Laugh and say, God, what are you inviting me into? Now, again, that's easy to preach. I get it. It's a whole lot harder to live. But Paul lives it for 18 months. He stays and he preaches and he doesn't give up. So, church, let me encourage you, wherever you are in that journey, do not give up. Thank you for being here. I see people that for the first time, first time in a long time, thank you for being here. This is the ministry movement of the king that he invites us into. Now, I love this. God, again, it's almost like on time. God gives him this vision, and then what happens shortly after? Paul gets attacked. Again, don't be discouraged by that. Be on guard. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. But when Gallio, now I love this about Luke. Luke is a, a physician by trade. He's super precise. You want physicians that are precise, do you want, right? You want physicians that, that aren't going to make mistakes. And so he's a physician. He gives lots of good details. Gallio was the proconsul of the day. I love that Luke gives us these details because we as the church can go back and look it up. Even from non-Christian writers, we can see that Gallio was a real guy that was really the proconsul, that he was really anti-Semitic, that he really lived in Corinth and oversaw the region in AD 51 and 52 specifically. And Gallio is, is leading this region. And so as this is happening, the Jews make a united attack on Paul. Don't miss this. Paul is given this vision and then the Jews attack. That's why he got the vision. And he was brought before the tribunal, which Gallio oversaw, saying, the Jews said this, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But what they're saying is get rid of him. Kick him out of this town in the same way that Claudius kicked the Christians out of Rome. Get rid of him. He's compromising our religion. We have a good relationship with Rome. Christians don't. Please get rid of him. And I love this. I love it when we're attacked. I, I practice this as a leader. I believe in a leadership philosophy that says stand, but don't push. Don't push. I've never pushed someone and won an argument. Never. Stand for what you believe. Stand for what's right, but don't push because it's not going to lead to anything. And I think Paul was like that. I think Paul stood. Paul gets attacked in front of the poor consul. I think he stood up. The text says this. Paul was about to open his mouth, but Gallio speaks. I mean, how cool is this? Gallio doesn't love Christians or love Jews, but God uses him to protect Paul. Don't miss this. God is using all things, even people that don't love him, God uses for his glory. Is that good news? He's faithful to the end. And so God speaks through Gallio to protect Paul. He says this, look, guys, if this were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, you Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But it's not. It's a matter of your words, of your names, of your own law. So see to it yourself. I refuse to judge on these things. And he literally says, get out of my house. How cool is that? That God uses, not the religious leaders, he used the political leaders of the day. This is good news. And Paul's like, oh, that's right, God, you're in charge. I trust you. You're doing a work, not me. 
Now, I love this. The Jews heard that word from the proconsul. They did take it into their own account. Verse 17, they seized Sothenes. Who, who, who is he? He's the ruler of the synagogue. Why is he the, the new ruler of the synagogue? Why? Because Crispus is a Christian, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but it was bad for business if a Christian was leading the Jewish temple, right? Like in the synagogue. And so they brought in Sostenes. Some commentators believe that now he's a Christian. He's like an undercover Christian. They just haven't discovered it yet. The Jews discover that, so what do they do to Sostenes? They beat the tar out of him. And what is the political leader, Gallio? Lest we ever give political leaders too much credit for what they can and can't do, right? He goes, I want nothing to do with it. He turns away. He paid no attention at all. Church, I don't want to miss this total sidebar. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But I think we put way too much faith in politics or really anything in this world. We can't legislate heart change. It's never going to happen. But church, you actually have had a heart transplant. Your life has been changed. You've been given the opportunity to do what politicians could never do. And so don't miss that. Don't miss the calling that you and I have to step in to help the broken and the hurting. And don't blame it on the government or any other organization that they should. If you ever say they should, you know what? Look in the mirror first. Amen? We should. We should deal with whatever the issue is that's on your heart. We should deal with racism. We should deal with poverty. We should deal with the broken. We should deal with the fatherless reality of our nation. That's on us. Don't have time to get into it. Some other day it'll come up because it comes up in the text over and over and over again. Pray watch that. Verse 18. And after this, Paul stayed. I love this. He stayed. He's not running away. He's staying until God says it's time to go. I think this is beyond the 18 months, beyond the harassment, beyond the persecution. He stays. And eventually the Spirit says go. And so he took leave to go back to Anak. This is the wrap-up of that second missionary journey. This is the conclusion of that long trip. And so he took his brothers with him to Syria, Priscilla and Achilla. And at Kenshi, he cut his hair. It was under a vow. Luke doesn't really tell us the kind of vow, just that he was under a vow. So again, he shaved his head. Most godly men look like this, right? And so he, he shaves his head. He gets rid of his hair. I think it could be one of two reasons. Paul was a Jew of the Jews. So again, often we would cut our hair to remind ourselves that God has provided everything. That, that was a provision. That was a vow that the Jews would make. They'd also cut their hair before they would go offer sacrifice, say, God, you were good. You were good. And every time I look in the mirror, I go, God, you were good, right? Like... And so, again, we just know that Luke tells us he cuts his hair. He moves on. In verse 19, they came to Ephesus, and he left them. Who's the them? Priscilla and Aquila. He left them there. Why? Because it wasn't about Paul. It was about the church growing. It was about the guardians of the galaxy as a team. He leaves them there, and he himself, he went to the synagogue, because that's what he does. He reasoned with the Jews. They said, Paul, stay here. Keep teaching. He's like, why would I stay here? Priscilla and Aquila are going to stay here. That's all you need. You're good. I'm going to go. Why is he going to go? Because he loved his church plants. He goes and visits the church plants. That's what he's going to do. You guys know what tonight is? Tonight, January 13th in Del Paso Heights, is the first prayer and vision night of Del Paso Heights Church for Grace. How cool is that? That at this date last year, we didn't even know that God was going to call us into planting a church in Del Paso Heights. But tonight, Chris and his leaders, I already know we have a life group serving down there. We've got other people that are cooking dinner. Be praying for Del Paso Heights tonight. God is on the move. If you want to go, look at the website. It's It's on Facebook. Go, pray, watch, encourage them. God is moving. It's not just a story in the, old, in the New Testament. It's happening here. And so Paul says, I'm going to leave. I hope to return someday. But you don't need me. That's what Paul says. You don't need me. And what I love is we see instant fruit at the end of this chapter. We don't have time to pull it apart. But in verse 26, Priscilla and Aquila, they stay. And Apollos, Apollos was this amazing man. Again, he was a God-fearer, but guess what? He had some bad theology. And you know what Priscilla and Aquila do? They invite him into their home. They say, would you be a part of our life group? 
That's what they say. I see a lot of life group leaders out there right now. If you're a vintage grace, get in one. We need to be in one. We need each other. And so when Priscilla and Aquila, when they heard him, they took him aside because he was preaching that was, it was a little off. And they said, hey, this is who Jesus really is. And here's what I love. They corrected him in their living room. They didn't do it publicly. They said, hey, I think you want to make much of Jesus. Let's make sure we're right on who he really is. And then it says here, so that they could have the way of God more accurately. And guess what? God's going to use Apollos in Ephesus and beyond. I love that. Guys, we need each other. You are all a guardian of the galaxy. That Paul's call as a preacher wasn't actually to make disciples. His call as a preacher was to help you go make disciples. That was his call. And so we see that with Priscilla and Aquila. The text goes on in verse 22. When they landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church there. Then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time down there, he departed and went one place to the next, all throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. This is like 1,500 miles in 10 words, right? Paul's busy. He wants to go see people because he loves them, because he cares about them. He wants to share the gospel to them and with them. And so he's kind of wrapping this up, this end of the second journey. And the question for me is, we've been in the second journey now for a few weeks. What are the implications? I got three for you and for me. Three very personal implications. The first one is this. Can we just learn something from Paul? Think about this. Did the Jews like Paul? No, they hated Paul. They wanted to kill Paul. Did the Gentiles like Paul? No, they hated Paul. They wanted to kill Paul. How good is it to be Paul? I mean, think about that. Everybody hates you. No matter, you ever feel that way sometimes? No matter where I go, I just can't do anything right. Don't miss that we serve in the kingdom of God an audience of one. That's the only one. It's all that matters. I think we look at our life often and we're like, oh, I'm not doing anything right, but we gotta trust that God is working to us and through us. That the world is going to hate us, that that is natural, that that is normal. Honestly, if we look too much like the world, then maybe we're actually not in the kingdom, right? Paul says he wants to invite us into kingdom residency. He wants to bring kingdom to earth in the same way that was Jesus' focus. And so Paul's focus is on the gospel exclusively. Don't miss this. If you're a tent maker, which most of you are, right? If you're a dad or a mom, if you're a secretary, if you work in the plumbing business or in the agricultural business, wherever you work, God has a call for you, but your boss is not your boss. It's the king, amen? That's who you work for. Now, here's the reality. When you work for an audience of one, guess what? You're way better for everybody else. Don't miss that because you don't work for them. You work for the king. And so you are the best worker in town. You do love and you care, and that doesn't mean you're the best father, but you do repent quicker than the average father. You do love and you care because you are living for an audience of one. That's one takeaway for me. The second one in R2, and I just think, again, we all need to grow in R1, right? We all need to grow and make commitments and next steps there. R2, goal with other believers, the church. God, God had some goal. Paul had some goal for the church. His goal was this. He wanted to strengthen. That's why he would run. He runs so hard. I think that that's why I have a tendency to run hard because I just want you stronger today so you can be ready for the enemy tomorrow, but also you can be ready for the kingdom tomorrow. That was Paul's heart, to strengthen, for disciples to make disciples. Again, don't miss this. Paul was a disciple maker, but Paul viewed his job to equip you disciple makers. Part of why I love Vintage Grace is we gather for sermons and for stories and singing, but the best part is we send you to go be the living proof of loving God. You are the makers of disciples, not Paul. Not the staff, not the elders. We're not saying we're exempt from that. No, we get to do that too. But we all play a role in making disciples, that we're this band of misfits, that we are the guardians of the galaxy, that if you don't play your role in the kingdom of God at Vintage Grace, guess what? We will never be as good as God called us to be, ever. We need you. 
Church, don't miss that. I think sometimes being part of a, a young, growing church, we're like, man, everything's great. No, no, no. If you're not on the team, we're not as strong as we need to be. Do you see that? Paul's like, I don't need to be here. You got Priscilla and Aquila. Go. Make disciples who will make disciples. The third one is our three. Again, we all got to grow in our one. We all got to grow in our two. I think we all have to grow in our three. I mean, I love this. The goal with pre-believers, think about the Macedonians. Their goal was that they would spend every dollar, every second, every gift that God gave them, their goal was to invest it in the kingdom of God. If you're wrestling with finance, I encourage you, sign up for the FPU class in February. I want to be a good steward of my money. I want to give more. I want to be more strategic with my time. I want to serve better. All of us need to grow in that. But ultimately, for the yet to believe, I want them to find more joy in Jesus. And so they joyfully gave of everything so that Paul could preach the gospel in Corinth, even though they didn't think there were grocery stores in Corinth, right? They joyfully gave. And church, that's our call. That's our call to do that, not just in our one context or in our two. As we build the new building, we'll hope to break ground soon. I'll give you more updates when we have them. But make no mistake, our new building, guess what it's going to be all about? Serving the lost. Creating a sending station so that who can serve the lost? You. So that we can go because lost people matter most so that they would meet Jesus for their joy and for God's glory. And so those are personal implications. I want to encourage you, don't leave the day without saying, I want, to, I want to grow in that one. What is your next step? Where are we praying and watching and stepping? And lastly, I just want to take a moment to say corporately, what are the implications for us? This is the end of a second journey. This is kind of the end of our, of our full fourth year as a church. So it's a time for us to stop, to reflect, to praise God for his goodness to us these last five years, to get ready for the next five years. And so I just wrote down these three. Church, what time is it? I want to have that mentality. I want to have that mentality every second of every day that whatever God's invited into, it's next step, it's next play. That's a gift from God that God's given us. I want every one of us to, to wear our tool belts, to, to put on the, the belt of righteousness, to step in faith, whatever God's going to invite you into. And so maybe today you need to commit to being a part of a life group. You've been a guest. I see a lot of new faces this morning. That's awesome. Thanks for being our guest, but don't be our guest. Let's go. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but like, I kind of want to be done with the pleasantries because life is short, hell is hot, and we got a joy to fight for, amen? amen? And so again, if you're a guest, welcome. Seriously, Felder Connect, I'd love to call you. But let's get to work. Let's get to work. We don't have time to, to ding around. The enemy is attacking, and we need to be taking ground, not defensive. The gates of hell will not overcome. Gates are a defensive tactic. That's what the enemy has. You have swords and weapons and the spirit, Amen. So I don't know what that next step is for you. Maybe it's joining a life group. We have a launch group. If you've never been in a life group, it starts next week. Join a launch group. It's just like a, a part-time life group. So you're not committing to everything, just a little bit. Do that. It starts at next steps every Sunday during the third service. Figure out what your next step is. Every one of us has a next step with Jesus. Every one of us. None of us have arrived. We're in this process. We're in this journey. And finally, church, would you just be on guard? Be on guard. The enemy hates what's happening. Don't be discouraged when the enemy attacks you, seriously. I, I know it's easy to preach, but on some level, laugh. Be encouraged. Paul gets that vision from the Lord so that when the enemy attacks, and I believe it was quick, like the next week, that when you leave this place, expect the enemy to attack on Monday. Don't be caught off guard. But also remember that you win because Christ always wins. Amen? Anyone know what today is? I know it's game time, but anyone know what today is, really? Today's my oldest son's 12th birthday. Now, if you know anything about our story, you know that Braden was diagnosed when he was two with cancer. That he relapsed when he was three. Really bad to relapse when you're giving someone chemotherapy to kill the cancer and it comes back even stronger. 
There were so many days in that journey that we almost lost him. Literally hundreds of days living in the hospital, fighting for our joy. And today he turns 12. Don't be caught off guard when the diagnosis comes. Don't be caught off guard. Expect an attack. On some level, be encouraged with attacks. Because it's not about this world, it's about the next. And I praise God that Braden's alive. Don't misunderstand. I praise him. But there are lots of kids that we lived in that journey with. Again, hundreds, thousands a day, four years in and out of the hospital. Lots of kids that didn't. Which just increases the urgency, guys. Life is short, hell is hot. We got work to do, amen? That's why we gather. And so I don't know where you are in this journey. I don't know where you are and what your next step is. But here's what I do know. If you take next step, the enemy hates it and he wants to destroy you. He wants to take you out. He wants you to think that life is about health or life is about wealth or life is about your job. Don't miss. The kingdom of God is moving and you've been invited in. Do something else. I'm going to ask you right now. We often pray this way. We just open our hands. We lay them on our laps and we say, God, speak. So, Spirit, I just want to pray that you would speak into our hearts. Many of us have things that that maybe today we are suffering. We're in the middle of diagnosis. We're in the middle of poverty. We're in the middle of brokenness in our marriage. And anywhere we go, we feel like the enemy attacks. We want to surrender that to you because in you, Jesus, we believe that there is victory. So we surrender our lives because we know that you're going to do better with it than we will. So we just surrender this before you, Spirit. We ask you to speak to us. To remind us that in spite of this world, because you conquered this world, it is well in our soul. Spirit, speak through the song, I pray.